Hey, what's going on? Thank you for pressing play on the Bituation Room podcast. Just want to let you know, heads up, there are some audio issues with this episode. It's not unlistenable by any means, but there's, you know, some lack of laughter and some weird volume issues. It's because my mic was turned way the hell down because, uh, you know, sometimes I'm not perfect. Okay, <laughs> listen, <laughs> enjoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast live stream. How are you? Hello. I hope you're good. Uh, hope you had a good Juneteenth. Hope you know what Juneteenth is now. At least there's that. If you didn't, um, I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. You might have seen me on Newsbroke, uh, the only comedy show of the Al Jazeera media network. That's right. I did it right here. You might have seen me on MSNBC's Red, White, and Who. Uh, you might have seen me on the Young Turks or other places uh, at where I am underemployed. So that's me. What's up? This is my podcast, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for being here on, on all the things. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, just take a moment to rate it. Just give a little 5e5s. That's five stars, not four, not three. I don't want to hear about Tulsi. I don't care. Okay, done over first one to endorse biden ha 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 but give me five stars anyway um and thank you so much as always for the tips people you guys have been so generous uh, every week we donate a portion of those tips to a different organization and this week we're donating to an organization called black voters matter um because we have a guest who works with the organization um black voters matter fund um her name is tammy sawyer She's amazing. She's awesome. She's headed out to Kentucky to do some monitoring of the shit show that that election is going to be there on Tuesday in their primary election. Um, but we're going to catch up with her, talk all about um, the black vote, the monolithic singular black vote. No, obviously uh, the many different um, ins and outs in this moment of Black Lives Matter uprising and what all that means for the November election and all that. Um, but I'm so had, glad to have you here. And I'm just going to raise this glass to my co-host, who I'd love to welcome to this podcast right now. Please welcome on this Father's Day, a guy who will never let you forget that he is, in fact, a dad of twins, Mr. Nato Green. Cheers, comrade. Cheers. Salud. Salud. I have a song for my drink. What's your drink? Well, uh, it's part of the song, so I have to, I have to sing the song. Uh huh. It goes, "Don't blame it on Obama, don't blame it on Donald, don't okay. blame it on Biden, blame it on the Martini." Nice. Uh, this is a drink called the Prize Philly. I'm enjoying it. Uh, can you sing uh, a song? Actually, I do not. No, no, I'm not going to sing. Uh, I'm not going to sing about the drink. Uh, it has uh, whiskey and uh, vermouth. And and two different kinds of bitters mm -hmm. and uh, Luchardo. Um, last night I couldn't sleep, Francesca, and I like went down a rabbit hole of watching in the middle of the night watching Spanish and Arabic Arabic language rap videos on YouTube, That's and it's, it was great. It was I had a great time. I had a great time, except that like occasionally, you know how like occasionally people we talk about how 
uh, how like social like internet advertising is destroying our democracy and sure. and like and you know and, and corrupting people's minds. And then I see the kinds of ads. Uh -huh. Hey Cambridge Analytica, fuck you guys. Yeah. And then I see the kind of ads that they're targeting me with. Um, and so like while I was watching like like left wing like pro Hamas Arabic rap videos, YouTube is serving me ads for Joe Biden mm -hmm. and men's ball trimmers. Um, so like, to, like to trim the hair on my balls. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, all, and pairs with Biden ads. In fact, it, that's it does, probably a better Biden sell. Yeah. Than Biden himself. Uh, it does square with, it does square with Biden ads, but like it, you know, I was like, these, these people don't know me. Like, first of all, I'm not with Biden. And second of all, I, Lord knows I have plenty of body hair problems, but like my balls are not at the top of the list of my emergent body hair situations. Um, I also take back. I had a whole rant about Bush, uh, not the president, but uh, you know the the hairstyle down there. I take it back. I'm not sure. I went to the beach, uh, very socially distant, and I looked down and I was like, "Oh, damn!" Like I'm so glad that we have to be six feet away from each other because you know. You know, Franny forgot about what what was going on down there, and um, just so you know, word to the wise. I also want to say I, I visited my mom this week. That's where I was, and so uh, just to check up on her, and she's fine. But it's also like very funny because it's I, I'm trying to be distant. I did get a test, not soon enough to the time where I saw her, but got a test. I'm negative, you know, COVID negative for as far as I know, and it was just like, well, mom, here's a little side pat on the shoulder hope you don't die like i, I, I did have that moment where i was like mom if you get sick like i will move heaven and earth and every nurse out of my way to try to get to you but most likely i won't be able to and so you know uh today today we we went out uh to the deep east bay and had father's day lunch with my with my dad and my stepmom and they said to my wife, who is a nurse practitioner, they were like, you should just decide like how close we can be. We yeah. put our life, our lives in your hands. And we're like, God damn it. You know, <laughs> I think a side pat, a side, a shoulder. Little yeah. smack. That's that's as you know, it's, it connotes love and concern at the same time. Hey, uh, I hope everyone is wearing their masks and continuing to do that. Please do. Um, but why don't we get into this week? Uh, once again, we open every week with uh, who day is it? And today is Sunday, June 21st, I believe. Uh, please correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. And we're just tracking, you know, what what ring of hell we're in this week by looking back at the week with our segment on the Bituation Room that we like to call the week where. Ba -ba -ba. The week where the Supreme Court handed Trump his little dick multiple times uh, by upholding a lower court's decision on sanctuary cities, uh, saying that gay and transgender people are protected against discrimination under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, and that DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, could stay in place. Um, and also surprisingly, conservative Chief Justice Roberts wrote the majority opinion on DACA. And in it, he essentially says, like, uh, yeah, you could do this, but like, do do it better like you could repeal this but next time you know more legalese you know more coded language um conservative justices just want their cruelty to be cruelty to be like m 
more Harvard and less Harley Davidson. You know what I'm saying? Uh, right. And uh, there, so there was with the majority, uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor wrote her own decision or her own opinion on the case oh, where yeah. she agreed with them, but she wrote her own opinion. And I just want to read the passage. Uh, uh, she like she talks about the statements that he gave because the, the majority decision that was written by Justice Roberts said that the uh, the rationale wasn't legalistic enough, as you say, but it wasn't racist either. And uh, and. She goes on to like review all of the horribly racist things that Trump has said over the years, and then she and this is the, this is the line from the uh, from her her opinion. Taken together, the words of the president helped to create the strong perception that the rescission decision was contaminated by impermissible uh, discriminatory animus. So I know that that doesn't sound like the sickest burn of all time, but in like. In constitutional law, that is as close as you're going to get to Justice Sotomayor literally hitting the president in the face with her chancla. (laughs) (laughs) I love discriminatory animus. Yeah. He's not racist. He's discriminatorily animus. He he has discriminatory animus, yeah. He has discriminatory animus. Um, I'm trying to, I'm like... What is the like adjective animosity? It, it is from the Latin root animus, which means fucking dickhead. Oh, right, right, right. right, right. <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right, moving along. This was also the week where former National Security Advisor John Bolton came out with an explosive new book that, among other things, reveals that Trump asked China's Xi Jinping for help with his re-election campaign and also praised uh, China's concentration camps. Um, Bolton was disturbed by the the praise of the human rights abuses and solicitation of foreign intervention in his real election campaign um, as it distracted from the real work, he said, of starting World War III by invading Iran. Bolton accused Trump of not consulting his advice, saying, quote, there's no I in Ayatollah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it, John Bolton doesn't like Trump for not being a good enough war criminal. Uh, he, John Bolton wants his war criminals more respectable. Yes. Uh, he wants some more civility. He feels like Donald Trump is a, is a crass. He violated the war criminal's oath. And credo. Taken in blood, obviously. Um, this was also the week uh, where Amy Klobuchar, did you guys hear this? Senator from Minnesota took herself out of the running to be Joe Biden's vice presidential nominee, um, as she claims, in order to make room for a woman of color. Or maybe it's because she was a pro-cop prosecutor in the exact county that George Floyd was murdered in. That that could have something to do with it. Um NATO, honestly, like, I'm sad. I'm going to miss Klobuchar because, like, I, she had some puns. She had, like, the corniest jokes, and I, and I, I, like, I'm sad we're going to miss out on that, you know? Because, like, what, what happened to Clobmentum? Guess the global warming ended on the status quo. <laughs> <laughs> she had some heavy clo days early on, <laughs> but she should have Klobucharged more police with murder. Hey now, I, um, Klobuchar, uh, it, the whole thing to me sounds like, it just feels like perfect, like Midwestern manners. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like nobody wanted her and she was, had the, had, was graceful enough to just excuse herself. Do you, you know what I mean? Like, like 
She she wasn't going to go out fighting or uh, be undignified about it. She was, you know, like she had good 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 Minnesota manners of like, oh, I brought I brought a casserole and I'll I'll leave now. No one likes I'll me. See myself out, yeah. I'll see myself out. Um, this was also the week where, if you guys didn't hear, uh, Quaker Oats decided to retire the Aunt Jemima brand of syrup uh, because of its roots in slavery era stereotypes. And honestly, like, I'm a little torn. There's a big discussion about this because I do think, like, Aunt Jemima, you know, she's a black woman. There is a certain amount of representation in that. And I, but I just don't want them to replace her with, like, a white woman named Aunt Jean who, like, calls the cops on a black bird watcher, you know? Um, I think instead they should keep a black woman but rename her Queen Jemima's slave owner slayer syrup. And just an image of her drowning a plantation owner in a vat of syrup. Mmm. Secrets in the sauce. Fried green tomato shout out. <laughs> um, also, like, have you, have you noticed that there's all these brands like Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben, Cream of Wheat, they all have depictions of former slaves. Like, that's where they come from. Like, 150 years later, white people somehow still can't cook breakfast. What's what the fuck is up with that? I say replace them all and just call them like honky helper. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's the little white glove. It could still be the white glove. Still be the white glove. Finally, I think everyone has been following this very, very closely. Uh, but this was the week where Trump held the super spreader event of the season in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a rally which was pretty light in attendance in both number and color. Uh, Trump drank from a glass of water with one hand, discussed the difficulty of ramps, referred to the coronavirus as the Kung flu, and said that he wanted to keep testing down so that numbers of coronavirus, uh, infected coronavirus people would also go down. Um, apparently it was also a huge merchandising event. I don't know if you guys read this. Uh, they were like selling Trump hats, mugs, t-shirts, golf clubs. On the hottest item was actually uh, headstones uh, pre-soaked in the president's urine. Um, so obviously uh, it was very exciting about the, the K-pop TikTok invasion of the Trump rally in Tulsa. Yes. Um, so the New York Times headline read, quote, TikTok teens and K-pop stands say they sank Trump rally. The New York Times, everybody, is using the word stands. They didn't even put it in quotes, like Ebonics or something. Like That means the word stand has jumped the shark. The phrase jumped the shark has also jumped the shark. The New York Times demographic doesn't know what TikTok, K-pop, or standing even is. They, they do know the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA. Uh, they are very upset about Trump's presidency, but mainly because it's eroded norms of bipartisanship and the separation of powers. Uh, for them, the whole putting children in cages and plundering the economy is a distant second. Putting TikTok, K-pop, and Stan in a, New in a New York Times headline means as much to those readers as a headline about how the Janjaweed militia was hyphy, visco girl, poly triads. Uh, it's just a bunch of gibberish to them. Uh, I demand to speak to the ombudsman. Uh, yeah, um, all right. Well, that was the week where y'all thank you for being here <laughs> once again. Um, please donate for those just amazingly workshopped uh, jokes that we just fired off for you. Our Venmo is TBR live. Once again, we're donating a portion of everything you give us to black voters matter fund. Uh, Tammy's going to be on with us very, very quickly. 
And I want to know what she's bitching about. But first of all, uh, we want to move to our next segment. Audience, y'all, let us know what you're bitching about this week. There's a lot of things. There's things to be happy for, but there's always things to bitch about. And that's what this show is about. Um, Nato, what are you bitching about this week? Well, so I... um... Uh, this week I am, uh, I went, so I went to the, I went to the Juneteenth rallies. Uh, we shut down the port of Oakland, thousands of people marched. It was incredible. Um, and like, there's so many, there's so many black lives matter rallies. Like I went to the Juneteenth rally in Oakland, got on BART, came home, got off BART in San Francisco. And there were like people with black lives matter signs going to a different black lives matter rally. You know what I mean? Like when, like, you know that you're in the, a historic moment when there's like, Oh, which of the seven black lives matter rallies happening today are you going to? And it's like overwhelming to manage my, my schedule and be like, Oh, that was the black one that I like, I went to the dumb one and not the cool. You know what I mean? So you're bitching about too many rallies. It's too many rallies and they're like, they're overlapping schedules. It's just, I'm having trouble getting it all on my outlook calendar. Um, so, but, uh, I mean, so the, the other thing is, yeah, uh, my Palm pilot, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the other thing, the other, I mean, the other thing that, that I'm, I'm bitching about is actually, so like, I have, I have a, uh, a message to the whites, Mm. my people, the whites, some some are listening for sure. Some are definitely listening. The whites is like, I'm not super into white people participating, uh, in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and the movement against police violence, and sort of in, I, I don't identify as an ally. I'm not really into the ally frame because I've like run it. I, like I hear, I've heard from some white people talk about the idea of like allyship fatigue because it's like exhausting emotionally to like have to be aware of black people suffering for a month, you know, uh-huh. without a break to like wallow in your own lightweight pity, self pity nonsense. Um, and, uh, and so like, I don't, you know, because of my background as a union organizer, I don't like, I have a different framework than the ally framework that I'm used to thinking about, which is like, like a multiracial organizing framework. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you like, you you know, are the most wokeity woke person of all time. Like you, like the thing that I like about union organizing is that you get to have these conversations with people about like, yo, I don't care if you don't like Filipinos, you better talk to those people or you're going to lose your health benefits because like, you know, those Philip, you need those Filipino workers to go on strike with you if you don't want to lose your health benefits. And that kind of urgency focuses people's uh, attention on uh, uh, racial unity in a way that like, you know, just uh, watching the documentary 13th 5,000 times in a row does not. I think I'm bitching about something a little bit similar in terms of like how to be an ally. And I think how a lot of right now, a lot of what we're going through and especially because many people are indoors and we're on social media constantly is that a lot of our politics are purely performative and the advent of Twitter, um, which is just a place to be politically performative um, makes us even more, um, more so. And so I guess what I'm bitching about specifically is like, look, we're trying to abolish the police. Let's also abolish policing one another. Like, that's it. Like, I think that we're so psyched to be one another's cop and be a cop in our heads. And that is so demobilizing. And we're all in different stages of learning. And that's okay. Like, you know, that's fine. I, I mean, I, and I don't mean to be like, we just call in and not call out, but I kind of do mean that. I just feel like 
at the same time that I, uh, I really have no tolerance for socialists or leftists who have no race analysis or don't understand um, how pivotal change in this country um, rests on racial justice. I also have no tolerance for just like performative people, um, maybe people of color, maybe not, maybe white women on behalf of people of color, just sort of policing everyone else's speech because they didn't use, you know, the right acronym, right? Or they didn't use they, or they didn't use whatever it is, just chill. Eye on the prize, focus on some concrete change. We've got an election coming up. Let's not police one another. So that's the thing that I'm like, I get, I get really triggered because as a comic, and I think NATO, you would agree, like, we say shit that we don't punch down. That's not our style of comedy, but we're going to say some stuff and we're going to be flip and we're going to, you know, um, we cannot be perfect all the time. And that's what's great about being alive. That's what's great about being human is that you you stay, say stupid shit sometimes. You learn, you grow, all this stuff. And if the right is so obsessed with like PC culture, how can we be beyond PC culture. Like we are anti-racist. We're principally anti principled and anti-racist. Um, but it's not just about performance and it's not just about saying the right words. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Well, and it's like, it's like you are so fucked up because you know, you didn't know the thing that I just learned two weeks ago. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like exactly. I just, I just did this book club two weeks ago and now I know, and now I'm going to come and judge you. For and sure. it's like, we, ha you know, like you gotta, be, we have to make it you know, I of course I wish that like white people were like concerned about racism and figuring it out a long time ago and like, but we're you know you get there when you get there and uh you know and certainly like we all learn better with positive reinforcement and being scolded for like not figuring enough things out fast enough early enough all at the same time like it, you know it's like I I feel like it should be more like. Like just, to, you know, I actually had a situation recently where a black friend of mine, we were in a conversation. I said something. She was like, you know what? That sounds racist. And I was like, all right, fair enough. My bad. Sorry. And then we like went out and got drunk together and it was fine. It was like, yeah. you know, it should be at the level of like, oh, you know, like your flies down. I don't, you know, <laughs> like, like right, you, right. you should just be aware of this, that your fly is down right now and everybody can see your junk. And maybe that's not, maybe you don't want that. So yeah tighten that shit up. Uh, and then you're like, oh, thanks. I'm glad someone told me that my fly was down. I didn't want to be that guy just walking around with his dick out. Like Exactly. And your ability to accept that critique and move forward with it um, is the difference between you and the right wing. There are a crazy Nazis who've been like radicalized because someone told them they shouldn't say uh, uh, like spirit animal. And they're like, oh, hell no. Like, you know, nine, whatever. Like, it's so stupid. You can't be that fragile. So it goes both ways. Be receptive to the critique. But also, I feel like let's build a world where we give each other the benefit of the doubt. And I, I you know, I don't mean to be super kumbaya, but like our hearts are in the right places. Um, let's go easy on one another while still being anti-racist and multiracial. And with that, I'm going to read a couple comments. We're going to bring in our guests. Um Hyacinth on Facebook is bitching about white people complaining about protesters tearing down the Grant statue along with Juniper O'Sara and Francis Scott Key ones. Good debate. I think our guests will be able to wade into that a little bit. Uh, Grant fought for the union. Was he, did he deserve to be torn down? Should, do we need to talk about it that much? I, I was thinking like, I mean, the thing about the whole statue debate to me is first of all, like, like, can you, before any of this happened, 
could you name one statue in your city and what that person did? Like, it's not like most of us walk. Depends on where you live, Nato. I, I have, I have, I have thoughts on this, and I want to bring in our guest because I think she has a lot of thoughts as well. She is the county or a county commissioner in her hometown of Memphis, Tennessee, District Seven. She serves as a national field director of Black Voters Matter Fund. We're raising money for them tonight. Um, chair of the Memphis NAACP Legal Defense Fund and leader of the Take Them Down 901, um, which is all about tearing down Confederate statues in the South. And she's also the recipient of the Ebony 100 Award and host of the Black Steel Magnolia podcast. Please welcome Tammy Sawyer. Hey, everybody. What's, up, Tammy? <laughs> What's going on? Hey, Francesca. How's it going? Hi, meet NATO. Hey, NATO. What's up, Tammy? Thanks What's for coming. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, you, we were just about to wade into this discussion of Confederate monuments and monuments and statues generally. Um, so I just wanted to shout out your work with Take Them Down 901. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it was a movement to take down the Confederate statues. And in 2017, you got uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest, who... NATO and I didn't know was one of the found or one of the leaders, the first grand wizard bullshit nerd science, whatever the race science piece of shit of the KKK. Yep. That, that, all of that was on his business card. It was a very, it was a wordy business card. Racist piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, and then he scratched it out at the like last moment of his life, thinking maybe he could atone for the first 80 years, you know? Is that oh. actually what happened? No, the Confederates in Mississippi and Tennessee love to say that he atoned on his deathbed for his racism. Like that would eradicate the fact that he had massacred, you know, a whole fort of black soldiers who surrendered or, you know, raped multiple black women and bragged about it, was known as like the butcher of the South. You know, we can all apologize for everything on our deathbed, but we don't all get 9,000 pound statues. So, <laughs> I mean, this is what I was saying with, you know, I think a lot of people don't know. And I grew up in Northern California. I didn't know the statues and I didn't really care, but I think that's very different when you're growing up in the South and you're black and you know that there is, there is someone like Nathan Bedford Forrest who's got a statue. So tell me, talk to us about how it feels now, three years later, all these Confederate statues are taking being taken down. Is it more than just symbolism? What are your thoughts? So, you know, it's been a multi-generational fight. It didn't just start with millennials, you know, boomers and Gen X were, you know, definitely pushing across the South to have these statues removed. And we really have, you know, what happened in Charlottesville, um, you know, with Heather Heyer getting killed. And um, we also have to, you know, credit Bree Newsom for being a badass and climbing that flagpole and pulling that statue down. Between those two things, the momentum in the South to remove these statues finally really picked up. Um, um, but, you know, the uh, neo-Confederates are embedded in a lot of our legislatures and they write laws to protect them. So what you're seeing now with people like literally throwing ropes around these like stone and metal necks and dragging them off, it's almost what has to happen to get these statues removed because they are so highly protected by Southern states. Um, and so to watch it happen now as someone who wants like mapped out how to torch a statue so that we could put it over um 
thankfully we didn't have happen to do that. Um, you know, but to watch what's happening now, I'm just like, I just say, take them down every time. It's just, it's just amazing. I mean, NASCAR, you know, to, to watch NASCAR say no more Confederate flag to see the sec say, we're not coming to Mississippi. If y'all don't get, you know, these flags off Ole Miss property. These are, like I said, fights that our ancestors have been fighting, our parents were fighting, and then we picked up the fight. And, and to see it become so widespread, um, it's it's amazing. I, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Can I, I mean, I, I have so many questions, but, uh, you know, like I've been, as I've been following the statue debate, it seems like, are there any people who are in statues or want to have statues who are not horrible people? It seems like it seems like the statue business is basically for murderers and colonizers. Like that's that's who gets that. It doesn't seem like, you know, there's no like this is a great statue of a librarian who just read books to kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. So I, you know, I tweeted today that I think the best statues we have um, is Alice in Wonderland in, in Central Park, and someone else was talking about the Patting and Bear statue. I mean, honestly, right? If if you study religion. <laughs> Even, you know, I'm kind of like neo-religious, I guess, you know, pray sometimes, rest of times, I'm just hoping I make it and reading, you know, Shawnee Nichols horoscopes. And so like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Hold up. What's your sign? Taurus. Okay. Aries rising. So um, kind of a fiery girl, but uh, so, you know, I, I I just think that if we look at like the whole false idols thing, and I asked myself today, I said, would I want a statue if someone decided that like the work that I did one day was good enough? And and the theology that I believe in is no, you know, not even thinking about like religion. I just mean like my liberation theory, you know, as humans, we're flawed. As humans, we make mistakes. As humans, we hurt people, right? And so no one person really deserves this mantle of, you know, stone or metal, you know, because what, what it means to our generation might mean something totally different in a hundred or 200 years. And so for me, having done this removal work and, and just been so embedded in it, I don't even say replace them with something anymore. You know, I say, just take them down. Um, we don't need statues, uh, to, individuals to tell stories. We're a digital world. You know, we have our books. We have so many other ways to capture history besides picking 0.00001% of history um, that may, that end up, you know, being problematic. Who knew that Junipero uh, was that problematic? Thank God for Twitter, (laughs) you know, exposing, uh, you know, the devastation that he enacted on indigenous people. With Junipero, Sarah, that hairstyle was a giveaway though. Like anyone with that hairstyle... I'm clearly not Californian. Thank you for, because uh, I've definitely been saying Junipero, like the um, uh, black, uh, what, San Junipero from the um, <laughs> the episode in um, the, gosh, now I'm not going to be able to say it, but you know what I'm talking about, the series, Black Mirror. Yes. Oh, San yeah. Junipero. Yes, that's exactly So that's what I thought his name is. Can you say it again? Because I'm I'm Southern. Uh, <laughs> Es español, es junipero. Junipero. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I hear you on the statue thing. I do think if we could replace it with murals, 
That's nicer. I love murals. I do love the idea that when you pass something in the public space and that you don't have to pay and or go inside and go to a museum, um, that you can just be greeted by the figures who made their mark on wherever territory, whatever area you're in. So there's something really beautiful about that. But I want to move on because we have we have limited time, Tammy, and we could talk all night about the statues. But I want to talk to you about um, just quickly. You you're a county commissioner in yeah. Shelby County, in Tennessee, in in Memphis, and now we're going through this moment of defund the police, right? And and these calls for not just reform but real change. What what is your role in that? Like, how do you? What's your power in all that? And and how are you mediating this conversation? in your community? I think my uh, power is using my seat as a bully pulpit in the way that, um, you know, men have used it and especially white men in a long time. I'm one of 13 people. And so very often I'm outvoted because I am the admittedly most progressive, uh, most left-leaning commissioner. And so, you know, I'll come in and, you know, be like, oh, you know, Bernie said, let's do this. And everybody's like, girl, no, (laughs) you know, one to 12 is the final vote, (laughs) you know. um, But I think that uh, my role in this moment is to unpack what I'm seeing. I do a lot of polling on social media of um, my constituents and and really just anybody who lives in my county. You know, what do you think about this tax? What do you think about, you know, policing, right? So I'm I'm doing a survey right now with Black Lives Matter and a few other groups locally uh, to get people's real honest feedback on the changes they want to see in policing. And then I take it in. I'm last week. I took a resolution in to defund the police. Um, It went 5-5 with three abstentions. And, you know, I felt actually when it was done, I was pissed. (laughs) And a week later, I actually felt damn good that it wasn't 112. Um, You know, (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and and to be able to do that in what is actually, even though it's a majority black county, a very conservative county, um, and where the power is majority conservative and white, um, you know, to me, it's about taking these national conversations and bringing them to my city. I think one of the things that I've been able to um, use as leverage is that I've been a part of national work and I've been able to like break down what people are doing in other cities, you know, being a part of networks such as young elected officials and, you know, black elected officials and black women elected officials and all of these groups and be like, hey, this is what they're doing in Cleveland. Let's try this. Um, and so for me, it's about educating my constituents because people do not talk to once so many people get elected and then never reconnect until it's time to get reelected. Mm. You know, and I've, I've told people, if you don't ever see me again, don't vote for me again because I broke the promise. Um, and so right now, what's important to me is there's so many recommendations about what reform looks like. Is it defunding? Is it abolition? But trying to make something stick and trying to change the conversation. Locally, 40% of our budget goes to policing. Um, and we have the lowest rated school system in this in the state. And, um, you know, amongst other things, you just saw Tennessee make national news this week um, for a midnight vote that our Senate took, um, passing the fetal heartbeat ban and not even including exceptions for people who were um, survivors of incest or rape. This happened at like 1230 in the morning. And as y'all know, I'm always up on Twitter to like 2 a.m. So, you know, I'm like looking for Animal Crossing codes and scrolling. And I was like, 
like, wait, what? <laughs> so, you know, being able to address that locally um, and also to react. And I think so for what me, for me, my role has been um, to be a different type of politician, to be the elected official who listens, who brings your voices, who brings my constituents um you know, they're actual, like what they actually say they want to see happen. And mm -hmm. even if I, I, I lose, you know, even if I was, you know, voted down every time, at least I tried. And that's the most important thing. I don't lose faith when my fellow electeds vote against me. Um, I lose faith when I don't feel like I'm working hard enough for what I know people in Memphis and Shelby County need. Mm. Can I, can I ask, like, people talk about the idea of, like, holding politicians accountable. And I feel like most of us don't have any idea what that means but besides, like, at tweeting, tweeting it at them that they're assholes. Um, <laughs> can you talk, like, Exhibit A, my friend Francesca, um, or in the case of Francesca, prank calling them um, and leaving uh, voicemails, or in my case, showing up at hearings and roasting people in public comment? Um <laughs> Can you can you talk like what do you see as like the most profound and effective ways for people to hold politicians accountable besides just voting them out come election day? Yeah, because most politicians aren't afraid of being voted out. I mean, you saw the Gary Chambers video go viral and, you know, with Connie, the racist lady who was shopping while they were talking about removing Robert E. Lee and um the Connie actually won because nobody ran against her, you know? So we're, we don't have enough people running for office. We don't have enough people voting. So I think the way that you hold people accountable is one, those folks have to be willing to be held accountable. If I never talked to another constituent, I could probably still win reelection. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you say you're in a pretty conservative district, and I think that's an interesting question when looking at 2020 um, and what went down in the primaries. Obviously, we have Joe Biden um, as the Democratic nominee uh, to very little fanfare. And I think that the more conservative and older black voters handed him and helped him win that that primary in addition to, you know, all the. Buttigieg's and Klobuchar's falling into place at the perfect time. But right. how, what do you um, make of that generational divide? And is there a generational divide within um, in the South with black voters? Um, and how does that inform your work and sort of where you hope as a progressive to kind of to move and, and as a Southern progressive? Yeah, there's definitely a generational divide. I mean, you know, I was a Southern Warren surrogate and my own mom voted for Biden. And she she didn't tell me until after primary day, but <laughs> and when I asked her why, you know, she said because I know that was our girl, but I just didn't think she could win. And I said, but if we voted for her, she could have won, right? You know, and there's this math that's in a lot of like boom black boomers' heads, like 
it's practical because practicality has helped them survive years of systemic oppression. And there's something about like people who grew up in the seventies and eighties when like corporate America was recruiting black people and it was like, go to college and get your, you know, plot of grass where it's like this practical respectability that's still so entrenched in them. Right. In our generation, like, well, I'm millennial, millennials and Gen Z are still not yet active enough in politics that we can like take those reins away. Or we can, you know, Clyburn can come out and say, Biden is it, and everybody, you know, falls in line. Um, but we are starting, I think, to see a shift where Clyburn gets pushback. There's enough noise being made about like, why did we just hand this to Joe Biden? questions unasked. You know, what you saw the follow-up when people like Angela Rye and my own boss, Latasha Brown and others called into question, like one, Biden being un put, you know, unquestioned and not taking a task for anything. And then also making demands about who he picks as vice president. Um, how I work through the generational divide is, you know, I practice on my own mom and dad a lot, um, <laughs> you know, and their friends. And, um, you know, I still am like very, very loudly, uh, you know, your quintessential black progressive millennial. And they think we're all like jerks who don't didn't earn any of our like platform forms or don't know what we're talking about. Um, but I think even when you're asking about this time period, what they're seeing right now is I just left Father's Day. And um, as I was walking out the house, I heard to go to the porch, I heard my uncle saying to my mom, you know, I didn't trust millennials at first, but they're really doing it. You know, and so like, you know, I guess it takes time. And I wanted to turn around and be like, oh my God. But I just, you know, acted like I didn't hear it. And um, I think, I, I, you know, I think it's something- And you guys like, did like a TikTok choreography together <laughs> and on the porch and it was great. I think I think it's to your credit as a human being that that your thought was like to turn around and go, oh, my God, and not go around. Motherfucker, you didn't trust us before. What's wrong with you? I'm right. your kid. Right. <laughs> right. Like you've literally watched me work all this time. What do you mean? <laughs> and I did. I did have that thought. But it, it just I think it meant more to me. You know, even like my parents, they watch CNN nonstop there. Like every time I call my mom, I know what time it is by who, what I hear in the background, you know, who's on air on CNN. And so she watched uh, what was happening in Atlanta with the protests just nonstop. And like, you know, she calls me just real quiet one night and she goes, me and your dad just realized we did this. We did this in the 60s and 70s and we failed somewhere that y'all have to do this again. And I think they had really bought into this belief that, it was just about behaving, that the people who were in jail, they weren't mass incarcerated. They sold drugs. They had guns, right? Um, the people who were poor, it wasn't oppression. They just never had enough grit. They didn't work hard enough. Mm -hmm. And now, like, there people, the whole country had to wake up. So I can't discount, like, an older generation of Black people who fell for the okie doke. You know, they have they they deserve a chance to wake up as well. But because they're watching their kids get sad, you know, it's it's they believe like my parents used to say to us all the time, the next generation is supposed to be more successful, is supposed to have an easier life. And they're not seeing this generation. They're not seeing it happen for millennials or Gen Z. We have too much debt. We don't have job opportunity. We have COVID-19. We've got police brutality, you know, 
Trump is our president. And so now they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, maybe something is fucked up in the system. <laughs> and, well, and you can't yeah. win no matter where you turn. So I was going to ask, so my, my, my understanding is that generally black voters vote for Democrats. There's the there's not a whole huge amount of flipping between Democrats and Republicans, but there's more, a bigger group that flips between vote, voting for a Democrat or not voting at all. And in, in your experience, I mean, first of all, is that correct? And second of all, in your experience, what are what is the most effective thing at driving turnout among black voters and other groups of voters that are less likely to vote? Yeah, so I think that black voters, when you look at, you know, black voters and white voters and, and Latinx voters, especially like the turnout is not that much lower. Um, I think that there is this belief that because, you know, Trump was so racist, so why didn't 100% of Black voters turn out when really the turnout rate between Blacks, White, Latinx, Asian American, et cetera, is, is it, it, the difference is like minuscule in the percentages, right? Now, where it does hit is generationally, right? So back to that generational divide. But like, I talked to a colleague who's a boomer and I said, did you, when's your first time you voted? And they said 30. So we are we are in what is like, this known world right now. So in our known world, like boomer generation on, we aren't the first generation to wait until like they're in their thirties to get serious about politics and, you know, to actually turn out and vote. Boomers that weren't like overwhelmingly voting, you know, in their twenties, you know, uh, Gen X definitely wasn't overwhelmingly voting in their twenties. And so, um, outside the generational issue, when we say that like black people are either choosing to vote or not choosing to vote, I think you also have to look at the layers of oppression that exist that keep people from polls. I mean, Louisville, Kentucky is about to vote on Tuesday and they've reduced the poll numbers from 3000 to 800. If every black candidate loses in Louisville, in, in, in Kentucky on um Tuesday, are we going to say that that's the fault of black voters not turning out? Or are we going to talk about the fact that lack of transportation mixed with lack of childcare, mixed with poverty, um, mixed with, you know, lack of awareness that there was a summer primary with a major congressional candidate, uh, you know, all of these, these things that work to keep people at home. It's not that people are just saying F voting. It's that people are really literally so far removed from the polls, their hierarchy of needs, voting falls, like they, they look back and they're like, oh, I would have voted if I'd been aware. I think that there are strategic uh, things that take place to keep people from the polls. Let me ask you then, are we making too big of a deal of Biden's running mate? Do you think that a, a nominating a black woman will invigorate some of the movements and the protests that we're seeing now? or not, or will it invigorate communities that might, you know, the, the black communities that might not have otherwise come out or what, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what do we, what do you make of that whole discussion? I mean, as, as like a super, like not your general black Southern woman, like more left than, than normal. I think like, I'm so tired of Veep stakes. Like I just never want to hear Veep or VP again. Um, like I was like, please announce something like I'm so, t and, and, and it's sad because it's almost like all they have to keep people interested in, in, in the election right now. Right. Um, as a black woman who understands how monumental this moment could be, 
right? Whether it is Kamala or whether it is Stacy or Val Demings, and regardless of what they bring with them, I think that Black women are like, we have literally dragged this party to the finish line. You owe us. Yeah. And <clears throat> but also we're dutiful. Like we're gonna vote, we're gonna do the right thing. So, you know, rewarding us with a Val Demings or a Kamala Harris and so on and so forth, you know, will energize us, but will it energize enough additional people? I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also just like, can we have not a cop or a former cop or a right. prosecutor? Like, is that, you know, and, and what, I mean, what does it say about systemic racism that I think like black women advance in those areas around in the criminal justice system, right? That's a whole other conversation, but what I'm like, then you, th- you're left with Stacey Abrams who I really like, but then she's constantly being discredited as like, you know, well, she what you know, hasn't been elected or slash was yeah, the election stolen from her and wouldn't be able to step into the shoes. And anyway, they're like seriously talking about Biden serving like, a year and change, <laughs> you know, like you talk about yeah. bringing someone to the finish line. We're literally the Democrats <laughs> him as just like, all right, here we go, idiot. We're almost there. Come on, you can do this YouTube ad. I, you know, I think that's what is also making beat stakes so so big is that people are like, whoever the VP is is really, you know, your next president, right? And so it's like we'd be setting up for the first woman president and the first black woman president. Um, but, (laughs) you know, to your question, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like, um, with the cop issue, like I was watching this video yesterday on Twitter of Kamala talking about the truancy and how she, you know, basically like arrested parents and she's laughing and I'm telling my dad about it at father's day. And I'm like, you know, she's just sitting there cracking up like, ha, ha, ha. And the parents are opening the letters and they know, they know I'm going to send them to jail. And it's that same like, you know, laughing, hair flipping Kamala that we grew to love on stage, right? Yeah. The thing that I forgive Kamala for is still that generational thing. She grew up in a time when Black women were becoming lawyers, were becoming doctors, you know, they weren't challenging, like we weren't talking about systemic oppression widespread. We weren't talking about mass incarceration widespread, right? So like someone like Kamala has to catch up to what we're talking about today. Now she should have caught up a few years back, right? Like (laughs) not in this, you know, campaign cycle. Um, But I do think that what we can't hold so many of these people, you know, like it totally red X them out on the fact that these these were women with limited opportunities. You know, if you if you live in Memphis, you're gonna and you want to have a good job, you're gonna be a teacher or a police officer or work in corrections. Yeah. So if you then say, like, I want to get elected or I want to change the world and and you change some ideas or maybe you did work for corrections, but you didn't like the way that, like, you know, we treated the prisoners. Do we say, like, no, you were a cop? Now, Kamala has some privilege. Right. You know, Howard grad, you know, all these other things. But also, like, you have to you have to look at like black um, like deeply at black history and like what the paths were available to somebody like her coming out of Howard in the eighties. Um, 
does not forgive how deeply of a cop she was. Now that, <laughs> but I'm just saying there's like, there's gotta be some grace somewhere in there. Meanwhile, the other side is like, well, we've got Tim Scott and one other person, you know, uh, Senator uh, Tim Scott, a black Republican. And it's like, you know, I feel like it is often how I feel when we talk about elections and representation, which is like Democrats are kind of in this completely other world. And you're absolutely right that, you know, this is we have to actually nourish and support candidates from the grassroots if we want to eventually elect someone who, yeah, wasn't a former cop. Um, but that this is the lot we have and it's not that bad. And these women are pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, and the other side is like, well, whitey, whitey, white, white, you know, so. Putting that all into context. Um, Tammy, uh, one of our viewers, Andrew, asks, um, what what can be done about voter suppression? Like, you know, I, I've seen some polling that like a, a significant percentage of people think that Trump is just going to steal the election. And, um, you know, like, is there a strategy around it? Or do you just hope that turnout is so huge that you overwhelm the voter suppression? Or what what do we do about it? You definitely have to have a strategy around it. Um, you know, so speaking on behalf of Black Voters Matter, one of the things that we're doing, you know, down in Georgia, we're involved in an ACLU lawsuit um, where we're suing the Secretary of State for not providing stamps um, on absentee ballots, um, basically saying that if you don't provide the stamp, you're still asking people to leave the house because not everyone still has, you know, stamps. You're still adding this extra level for people to actually vote. Um, and, you know, there's other lawsuits going on and other work that uh, Black Voters Matter is doing along those lines. You know, I know here in Memphis, um, the ACLU is also uh, looking at similar lawsuits. You know, um, the state of Tennessee actually just got sued last week and a judge decided against them um, because they didn't want to do absentee ballots. And the state of Tennessee says that you have to allow people to vote um, absentee because of COVID-19. And so they published this bogus absentee ballot that was super like, it was like six lines. It was kind of like the way that they used to do voter registration and like read the constitution to me or else you can't vote, right? So it's like a six line, you know, option A is like, I'm military. Option B is like, you know, I'm out of out of the country. Option C is like I'm in a wheelchair. Option D is like I have or may have had or am deathly afraid of or the possibility of one day possibly having the nor you know the COVID nineteen coronavirus. It's like <laughs> you know by the time you're done reading it, you're like I don't know if this is the one I'm supposed to check. What's E? Yeah, <laughs> and <I'm> so <laughs> and so they took it back to the judge and the judge was like <laughs> You're like, can I join the Marines in order yeah. to vote? <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I, you would be easier joining the army <laughs> than reading the four lines they wrote for the COVID-19 option. Mm -hmm. So the judge went back and said, you know, you have to rewrite this because this you're just making it difficult for no reason. Due to COVID-19, I don't feel like going to the poll, period. That's all they had to write, you know? And so I think that a lot of states, and I, and I see a question coming in about like what happens locally. You know, there's a lot of push for us to go march on Washington and do all of these other things. This movement right now is happening in the streets of cities. And that's where it needs to stay. These fights, voter laws are framed by states and they're enacted by counties. We have to fight locally, right? Like 
Um, we should be encouraging people to march on every city hall, not on the White House. We should be encouraging people to be, you know, petitioning their secretary of states, to be following their local ACLU chapters, to be supporting all of the lawsuits. There are going to be lawsuits all the way through election day and after, right? And the more we're aware and plugged in on that, that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, NAACP organizations, the collective PAC, Black Voter Must Matter, um, the Poor People's Campaign are all invested in local, um, local movement work towards voting because it has to happen in your city, has to happen in your county. Um, yeah, this is about getting one person out of the White House because we know how heinous it is, but this person has a marionette of secretary of states, of election officials who are doing the bidding of a party that is harmful to us. Right. So, so what, once again, winning ticket, set a police station on fire 2020 <laughs> <laughs> with the vi vice with president. Love. Yeah. Set a police station on fire slash free Palestine 2020. Totally. The winning ticket. All that. No, that's great. Um, I want to move on to our last segment, but I just want to say thank you for laying that out. And also I think there, what has been really good about this moment is that some of that um, just angry, never Biden sentiment that like a part of me absolutely gets. Yeah. Um, I just, I just know that it's coming from a, a lot of privilege and I know it's coming from people who are informed and able to buy stamps and aware enough to go vote. And then their ancestors didn't have to face down German shepherds and water cannons in order to get the right to vote. So let's all put that in context right now. Um, yep. And remember, yeah, eye on the prize and also that your organization and organizations like yours will be fighting the day after. Like if Trump actually tries to steal this, it'll be your organizations who are like suing for it, as you're saying. Um, so you're holding us all accountable. So and you. and it's going to be your and if Biden wins, it's going to be your organization that's going to be up his ass fully about who he appoints to what roles. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, Can we, let's let's make that that T-shirt too. I will be up Biden's ass. Tammy Sawyer up Biden's ass. Twenty twenty one. I'm so sorry, Tammy. I did other those words. Um, but I want to move on before I do. Um, please tip us, donate, Venmo, TBR Live. We're donating a portion to Black Voters Matter. Do it right now. Thank you so much for the people who already donated. And we want to have one last segment. We want to keep Tammy on, if she doesn't mind. No, um, it's good. Wonderful. We're going to move on to our last segment. And it's a new segment because we have a tradition here on the Bituation Room, which is uh, doing away with tradition. So <laughs> Just ma making up some making up some bull bullshit new segment every week. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, this, this week's new segment is called Woke Washing. Uh, corporations are obviously really trying to get on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon. That's welcome, or is it? Uh, they, they've done greenwashing when it comes to the environmental justice movement and climate change. They've done whitewashing when it comes to just history, and now it's woke washing. Um, so, for example, Bank of America is going to spend a billion dollars over the next four years to, quote, address economic and racial inequality accelerated by COVID-19. Thanks, Bank of America. You're still going to be evicting a lot of people. And my guess is a lot of black people. 
um, very soon. Walmart, this is my favorite one. Walmart is pledging to stop locking up multicultural hair and beauty products in display cases, which holy fucking shit, I had no idea that was happening. Yep. That is the most racist shit ever. Like, it's like, do that quietly. You know, CBS, Walgreens, they all do it. So racist, so messed up. Like when you change that bullshit policy, don't don't like release, don't do a statement about it. Just just be very quiet about that because that's embarrassing. <laughs> um, but NATO and I wanted to look at the streaming services because uh, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, they are very much woke washing and they are putting, um, they call it black stories um, in, at the top of their home pages. Yeah, Je- so Jeff Jeff Bezos agrees that Black Lives Matter. Well, yeah. he <laughs> underpays Amazon workers. Yeah, um, but we wanted to sort of get your take and also just talk about some of the things because there are some really good movies on there. I'm not gonna lie; like <sighs> everyone should watch "Do the Right Thing." Um, there's what Thirteenth is a great documentary. We should watch yeah, it over and over again. We should. Everybody, everybody should watch "Last Last Black Man in San Francisco." Love it. Yeah. But yeah, there's also other things, NATO. So from Amazon, uh, Honor Juneteenth, Black Voices, Black Stories. That seems nice. Just Mercy, The Hate You Give, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Sure, that sounds good. Uh, what's the, what, what else they got, Amazon, to, to stream? Let's see the other, other options. Oh, The Bodyguard. Right. Uh, <laughs> not... not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was when I was at my parents today again. Like one of the things that I saw this because my dad was watching TV and uh, they had the help as one of the trending. And I said, "Is it? Are we not paying attention to what's happening? Because this movie should be dragged down with the Confederate flag." Like <laughs> I just <laughs> feel like uh, it's ridiculous. And oh, uh, you know, on one hand, if if you if this is what you need to do, this is not a Black History Month moment. Right. So what I want to know from Amazon and what I want to know from Netflix is, are you going to hire black writers? Because Ava DuVernay sent a post out about what each of these, you know, executive rooms look like. And Netflix for all of the black shows that they have and, you know, even all of the brown shows that they have, the room is mostly white on their exec team. You know, same thing with Amazon, which we already know, Fox, everything, you know, Um, and they'll make these channels. Like, I think Fox has a black channel now, like Black Fox or something. And and it's like Fox. (laughs) Black Fox. Uh And we're really doing this. And so Viacom owns BET, majority one, one black executive. And so what I want to know is like, what what are you going to do to hire people? I don't care. I know how to find black movies on Netflix. I've been doing it as long as Netflix was open, you know, (laughs) like, I don't need this. It doesn't make me feel happy. This is not Again, this is not Black History Month. What I need to know is, are you going to change your hiring practices? What I need to know is, are you going to pay the people who are in your factories who are still shipping DVDs to folks who refuse to get a, you know, Apple TV? Like, are you going to pay them a living wage? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it takes it, a lot did, to put those DVDs in. I love that. I appreciate anyone who's still doing the DVD thing. Did you, there was there was the, the this incredible study, I think it was by Color of Change, about like the police procedural shows. And how like all of those shows, like Law and Order and Criminal Minds and CSI, like all of those kind of shows, the writers' rooms are all white. 
Yeah. And like, of course, they end up reproducing these racist ideas about cities and black people and crime and policing and the like the virtue and innocence of police when like it's Ooh. only only white guys who like yeah. went to, you know, went to fancy colleges and inherited money. I am rewatching uh, The Wire for the third time. And like I now I'm like, does it have to be about McNulty always? You know? Always about McNulty. Like, come on, let's yeah. just follow Bubs. Yeah. Although Bubs is not the best example, but I love Bubs. He's uh, he's the everyman, McNulty. Uh, I mean, I stopped watching SVU two years ago because of this point. And I was a big, like, Saturday afternoon, don't call me. I'm about to watch, like, eight episodes in a row of SVU. Like, lived for Elliot Stabler. And now, like, I can't. I can't even, the cast is all white except for Ice-T, you know, who comes in with a bagel that he's never really eaten in his life. And, you know, we're just supposed to like, you know, take this in. And so now Elliot Stabler is getting, coming back to the screen with a new show and I'm supposed to be excited. And I'm like, I can't even watch Elliot Stabler. Elliot Stabler is the most problematic police officer. If you go back to season one, he was knocking black folks' heads in left and right, you know, calling them thugs, holding guys by their like shirt, talking about, you're going to tell me what you did to that little girl. And they'd be like, you got the wrong brother, man. And then it'd be like, <laughs> you know, like, I, I just can't watch it anymore. I have no, I really can't. Other than the wire, I can't tolerate the any kind of crime shows. But I will say that that Hulu, like I, I totally agree. It's not, it shouldn't necessarily be, this isn't Black History Month. This is about concrete change. I also feel like, there should always be on the top line, like, hey, do you know your fucking history? Hey, like, here's some documentaries or here's some like, yeah, um, feature films that are directed by black people. Like, I like right. that. I wanna, right. I kind of want that a little bit. Um, and Hulu has uh, Living Single on it. And I used to watch Living Single when I was younger and I loved it. I love Queen Latifah. And I watched the, the pilot holds up. So yeah, fucking funny. It does. so good, funny, good, <laughs> single, independent black women. They've like Queen Latifah has her own uh, magazine that she runs, and it's just fun. It's good. So I will say, like, thank you to Hulu for bringing it, Living Single back. So ne this is Netflix. The on the homepage, black behind the camera, she's got to have it. Mudbound. Okay, Juana Man though. Um, and it's scary movie too. Uh, so, oh, and then Scary Movie 1. I so, have a soft spot for the Wayans Brothers, though. I don't know if that extends to Tyler Perry. And I don't know, Tammy, what you feel about Tyler Perry. I tried to watch Medea, Medea no. Witness Protection Program because Amazon Prime told me to. I don't think it's horrible. I don't do Medea at all. Um, you know, I think we really have I, Tyler Perry refuses to have conversations about what it means for him to be a millionaire as a black man, it, you know, dressing up as a Southern black woman uh, and a big so as, as a plus size Southern black woman, you know, all the tropes that come my way. Like I, I wish I, I could have just put a wig on and some aging makeup and have Tyler Perry's money, you know, and, and he does repay it. He does repay it. But there is still something about like that, like dress up as a woman thing. Um, and all of the stereotypes that he enacts by playing um, Medea. So I'm just not a big fan of him or the Medea, but like, get your money. Kudos. <laughs> he, he retired the character. Yeah. Because she ran out of, quote, ran out of things to say. 
Yeah, she ran out of it before he ever came to the screen. <laughs> uh, she, I, I have a feeling he will think of more things for her to say when he decides he needs to buy another house or something. Well, what they could be doing right now, too, is like very quickly putting money in, in young black filmmakers' hands. There are people documenting what's happening in this country left and right. And, you know, if Netflix and, and Hulu and all these guys wanted to do the right thing, you know, don't and, and then I'm watching these budgets like we've got a hundred thousand dollars from the McDonald's fund for for young black entrepreneurs. What the hell am I gonna do with a hundred thousand dollars? You know, like and and while it might be more, you're talking about giving a hundred period to like twenty people. Right. You know, these are like they're giving away pennies on the dollar for what these organizations and businesses have. But I would just say that I think Netflix and Hulu should be reaching out to black documentarians. Absolutely. And so for, for our viewers who don't know, $100,000 in television money gets you about four minutes of a, a network TV pilot. <laughs> yeah, I, I you're absolutely right. And hopefully they have more initiatives. I know Sundance is pretty good on that. I just want to shout out Andrew Martin on YouTube says Biden Medea 2020. And that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, Tammy, thank you so much for joining us on the Bituation Room podcast. Thank you for having me. You've been great. Um, follow Everybody follow Tammy's work, Tammy Sawyer on Twitter, and follow her organization's work, Black Voters Matter. Tip us. We're donating to them. Uh, Tammy, any any final plugs? Any final things? So don't be mad at me, but I, I have, there's been one person who has texted me like 15 times, my little brother Marcus, um, who is, swears that I'm going to be a communist if he has his way. Um, so I just got to shout him out. Um, he's in LA being a menace to society, um, but definitely support Black Voters Matter. Um, your, brother, your brother sounds cool as fuck. He is. <laughs> <laughs> He is. Hi, Marcus. <laughs> Thank you. He's like in my text, loving it. Um, but uh, so in real talk, let me do my job. Shout out to the Black Voters Matter Fund. Um, we are on the ground. Uh, we'll be in Louisville this week. Um, supporting what's happening in Kentucky. There are summer primaries happening across the South that we are active in. We support 11 states, all of your traditional Southern states, plus Philadelphia and Michigan. Um, so shout out to the Black Voters Matter Fund. Help us do this work. Help us also, we're doing COVID-19 relief and just a lot of other things. And so support Black Voters Matter. Stop asking people why they're taking down certain statues. Oh, but Grant was nice. Oh, but, you know, San Juno... Huni Piero, you know, did great things for us. Um, we cannot continue to like give passes for the history of the, you know, of, of the oppressors. And so I would just say, you know, take them down. Hashtag, hashtag take them down US. It, it's, it's time for something different. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Tammy. Take Thank care. you so much. That was great. Thanks y'all. Appreciate it. Um, and NATO Green, you get your plugs in. Uh, at NATO Green on Twitter, Mr. NATO Green on Instagram. Um, uh, check out my album, The Whiteness Album. And I will tease this next week. I have a big announcement. Oh, God. What if I don't have you on next week? <laughs> oh, shit. We're going to have to talk. 
Next I, oh, I actually, I should tell you. So I saw this in the con comments. Andrew Martin, uh, you asked somebody, uh, have you have you seen Sorry to Bother You? As a matter of fact, your friend and mine, Nato Green, I've been Sorry to Bother You for a second. I'm named in the credits. Uh, go, uh, Sorry to Bother You, which is streaming now on Hulu. If you watch. go watch it, I will get like seven, se seven cents or something of residuals. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That's on all of the recommended streaming um, Black Stories uh, lists, apology lists. So watch, sorry to bother you, uh, watch the scene that probably should have been cut for time. Uh, hey! And, <laughs> and join us next week. Uh, you can always listen to this podcast, Habituation Room, on all the platforms. Rate us, give us five stars. That helps people discover this amazing podcast. Next week, we're going to have John Idarola from The Damage Report which is on The Young Turks, uh, the show that I go on every week. He's going to be on here. You guys, you've been wonderful. I've been Francesca Fiorentini. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. And remember, don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye.